You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Wisdom Podcast, hosted by myself and the Vision Hunter Raja. We're here, at, well, at the lovely Oval with the usual gang, editor-in-chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Phil? Afternoon, Vish. Afternoon. It's been a while since we've done this, nearly two months now. Yeah, yeah it's come round quick enough though, and what, we're two weeks out from Christmas and in the middle of an Ashes series that we're going to have to touch on. In depth, it's not going according to plan so far. No, no, maybe Christmas will provide them with some respite out there. Yeah, uh, Joe Harmon, magazine editor as well. Joe, welcome. Hi, Vish. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Um, glad to see the knees all healing up. Yeah, for context, <laughs> listeners, uh, Vish did a reducer, I think they call it, uh, on me on football last Friday. And I haven't been able to walk for most of the week, but I'm, I'm back on my feet now. I'll do what I did then. I'm just going to point at the ball and say nothing. But um, we're lucky <laughs> enough to be joined by Middlesex and England batsman Nick Compton as well. Nick, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Fish. Um, glad that you managed to get me south of the river. I think the, the last time I came to the Oval, there was a, an arrow that landed about 10 metres yes. away from me. So I've, I've got a, a nervous hot sweat on at the moment, but it should, it should calm down in a minute. But yeah, great to be here. Totally forgot about that. Um, <laughs> can you just talk us to the, so one thing we were batting as well at the time. I, I was I was hobbling around. I, I'd hurt my my lower back. Um, you know, I'm getting a little bit older now, Vish. You know, what am I mid thirties? So um, did my back and, and had a runner. So I was standing by the umpire, and you know, John Simpson was batting beautifully. He was on ninety odd not out. We we're about 140 ahead with four, uh, about 40 overs left. So we had about another half an hour of good solid batting to get ourselves into a position where we could declare. Go and have a quick bowl, get the over rate back to uh, the required uh, even even rate, and, and move on with the game. Um, but this arrow just sort of—I was just looking sort of into the middle of the field, and this arrow landed about 10, 15 meters away from me. And it took me a few seconds to kind of, you know, because your your mind immediately thinks, ah, oh, you know, people in the crowd throwing a beach ball or maybe a plastic arrow, and 
you know, a bit of fun going on. But then I was like, hang on, this is not a... This is a Wednesday. 50,000 people. Are, there's, there's a man and a dog. And uh, there's an arrow that's at night. Did you hear it coming? Did you hear the whistle? I heard a bit of it. Yeah, I heard a... And it, and it sort of, I, you know, I sort of was in some sort of Robin Hood movie or something and then managed to evade it. Um, but yeah, it, and then I just remember Ricky Clark just sort of uh, making a few sort of statements and running off the pitch going, I'm getting out of here and, and running off the umpires. Like, What's going on? And I sort of picked this thing up and it was a metal, you know, sort of uh, bow and arrow or whatever you call it. Um, so yeah, not you know played cricket for enough years now. I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, you mentioned overweight. I've got to mention the resulting what the issues that followed after that uh, relegation. How's it sat with you? Oh look, relegation is not a good feeling. I, I think for the club, for the members, etc. It, it's not great considering the the year we had prior to that, winning the championship, one of the you know the best years I've had as a county cricketer, no doubt. Um, you know, high hopes for the year. The next year, and I think that's always a, a test of a team. You know, can you back it up? And, and I think we really wanted to, but you know, it was a close fought sort of uh, division, really. The first division, if you look at, you know, had we won that last game, we probably would have come third. Yeah. So, you know, there's a there's it, not much in it, but I, I think look, that that incident was disappointing. You know, I'm I'm certainly not the type of player who ever tries to make excuses. You know, um, you know, the pitch that Somerset produced in, in the last game of the season, I don't blame them. You know, they're trying to fight for survival as well and they produced something that, that, that played into their own hands. So be it. You know, I think every county would have done it. Yeah. I think the, the Arrow situation was wrong. You know, there, there's, no, there's no argument about it. It was absolutely categorically wrong. You know, having been in the middle, having been in a situation where I was 28, 30 not out, John Simpson was going well. We knew that we needed to just get our heads down back well for 30 overs the game would have been out of Surrey's reach. We would have bowled uh, Ollie Rayner and our other spinner, got it back level, shook hands and, and gone on. And, and that's, if, if you were anyone out there, if you were watching the game, that was the absolute reality of the situation. You know, I, I think the fact that, you know, that wasn't, that didn't happen and we got punished two points, I just thought was wrong. It's, mm. it's not an, I don't think it's an excuse. I think we've played cricket long enough. I think we, we know things are when, when they're right or wrong, and that was just wrong. And I, and I think that situation was disappointing. The ECB kind of tied themselves in knots as well, didn't they, by not making a decision soon enough. And then when other teams had played on the basis that Middlesex had been deducted points, it was always going to be difficult to go You can't backtrack, can you? No. So you, you need to make the call there and then, and the points should never have come off. Yeah, in the and, and I think James Franklin was very good in the sense that when, when you know we were in lockdown, the police were called in, and, and of course we're sitting in the change room being looked after, so to speak, and then suddenly the umpires say, you happy to call the game off and it was a case of well of course I mean no one's going to go back out onto the ground however if we get our overs back you know and the umpires made it very clear that of course that would happen I mean it was a so they gave assurances there, there's no yes there was there's no there's no player out there that would have had any if I was in the opposition I wouldn't have had any argument to that I mean like for absolutely I mean yeah. well, this is cricket you know what's happened is you know there was a, effectively the first ever terrorist attack at a cricket match you know if you want to put it like that it, that's exactly how it was exactly how it felt and how it was reported <laughs> you know, the, like come on guys you know yeah. what I mean let's just you know let's be fair here and move on you know so I think you know that we were under the illusion that, that that would be the case you know the fact that it perhaps wasn't acted upon you know there's nobody pointing fingers here and they're fine but i just thought it it could have been dealt with so easily no one would have kicked up a storm it was very simple and we would have moved on and you know what would have would have been would have been yeah, yeah it wouldn't be the first time that cricket's tied itself in knots though would it so no. maybe it'll no. <laughs> well going from bad to also bad england are tuna down in the ashes the last time we convened for this podcast we were full of high hopes we talked about 
Vince scoring hundreds. We did a, we, you know, we were joking did about we? this. I'm not sure I was on this podcast. Well, that was me. I, I think I was being serious, actually, to be fair. But we also had a situation where we decided to guess uh, our Sydney Sydney mm. top sixes when it was mm. all falling apart. We might need to bring that forward for Melbourne. Yeah, well, the name that we all parroted uh, dutifully one after the other was Ben Folks, getting him in at some point over the course of the series. I think there's a decent chance that we'll see him sooner rather than later now. I think that they will look to try and shake up that batting lineup. They've what for Perth? They've broken 300 once, mm. 230 twice at Adelaide on, you know, probably the best batting track in the in the in the country, albeit under lights here and there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not they're not going to make changes for Perth, are they? I don't see it because the, the player who seems most under threat is is Vince. Mm-hmm. But he's got the highest score by an England batsman in the series. That that would seem harsh although he played it, it wouldn't be harsh to me. I mean, he's made 100 <laughs> runs over four innings, um, having compounded the situation by playing quite nicely on day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for me, when you're two down in the biggest series around, you have to you have to get serious. You have to get ruthless. And I'm afraid what Vince has done for, from where I've been sitting is he's just exacerbated all the concerns that everybody had beforehand. Uh, and there was a degree of false hope in the first couple of sessions at Brisbane. And he's clearly aesthetically quite a, an easy on the eye kind of player but the limpness with which he followed it up with when you would have thought the confidence would have been going through the roof it was so limp and it was a little bit lunk-headed here and there no, as well I, I, I agree but I, don't, I don't, I'll make a change for, uh, I, I think when you've got two decent players sitting on the bench um, I think Folks is a fine cricketer uh, also in brackets Bairstow for me is far too low at number seven and yeah. I think folks comes in potentially to shake that whole that whole setup up. That's Nick, I want to I want to throw to you at this point because Joe mentioned it there. Where Vince has got the highest score. Phil also mentioning that hundred runs in four innings. England clearly have a conversion issue, and it's not just Joe Root's problem. I know Joe Root has taken the brunt of that, but England in two thousand seventeen thirty three fifty plus scores, only five hundred. Wow. Yeah, I, look, I, I I've listened and I and I think that um, I've been writing a column for for the Daily Express over the last two three weeks and. One of the things I expressed in the first uh, the first column, and I, and I said it last week, is that um, one, I don't think there are any surprises. You know, I like James Vince. He's, he's a he's an attractive player. He has one of the best cover drives I've ever seen. But for me, that doesn't win Test matches. And you know, James's record um, in in the Test matches coming before that, you know, weren't suggestive enough that you know this is a guy that. Um, was going to come in and score big hundreds. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't got the ability and the talent. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of James's, and if he was listening to this, he knows that. You know, I think he's a very good cricketer. However, um, you know, to see him getting caught in the slips playing big drives, I mean, th- that's what the data says. Mm. To think that you're suddenly going to get a different result of data, you yeah. know, in my experience as a cricketer, it doesn't work like that. You know, you, you, you know, there's a reason why, and that's the way he plays, you know, and I think, yes, he's attractive. Yes, he, yes, I think the thinking was on these better, truer pitches, you know, Michael Vaughan clearly has quite a big voice and, and he, you know, represents James Vince and, and has pushed his case. And, and I think, you know, he, you know, Michael Vaughan sees a lot of James Vince in him and, you know, they were hoping that that kind of result could happen. You know, I don't think that result's going to happen. I think, what you're getting from James is, is what he produces, both in county yeah. cricket and, and what he produces here. I mean, I've played against him twice where we know as county bowlers, we bowl we bowl him a few cover drives, he hits two and the next one he nicks, you know. And, you know, I think that's where I think James needs to make that shift. And mm-hmm. I, I agree um, with you, Joe, in the sense I don't think they'll make that change for Perth. I think he will play at Perth. 
I have been advocating and, and banging my, my head against the brick wall about Johnny Besto. Why is he batting at seven? I cannot understand that for, for the life of me. Mm. You know, you've got the third best player in the England team batting at number seven. You know, he's been one of the outstanding international cricketers for the last 18 months, if not, you know, the best England cricketer over the last 12 months. You know, he needs to have more of an impact. You know, he's a fantastic batsman. He's in good form. I think it gets him an opportunity to really get into the series, but particularly considering the headbutt gate and all this nonsense that's been flowing around. So I see an opportunity for him to really have a hold on the game. Taking that away, he's the type of player who's proactive. You know, and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Nathan Lyon bowling well at left-handers, mm. just like there was when Graham Swan bowled well at left-handers. You know, Nathan Lyon is bowling well at left-handers. You know, we don't need another three tests to work that out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough, okay? So the left-handers, of course, have to find a better way of going about it. I think KP's point, listening to Kevin Peterson, about, you know, there's no doubt that if he was facing Nathan Lyon, he wouldn't have figures of 20 overs for 40-something. You know, yes, Nathan Lyon might get him out, so he... he'd he admitted yeah. that. However, there would be a few, a few sixes before or after that would, that would be in the stand. So mm -hmm. I think for me, um, that's quite a case in point. Johnny Bairstow then splits up the left-handers. He comes in. I think he'll play that sort of game. So the only change you would make, you just move Bairstow to six, maybe back to seven. Is that, would that be the, it? The, the, I like the Ben Folks thing, and I, and I put that in last week. I right. said that, you know, I've played against Ben Folks. I think he's a, is a positive cricketer. I, I like the way he plays spin. Yeah. So there's no doubt that, you know, if he was to play Lion and face Lion, one, he's a right-hander. Lions record is uh, finger spinning off spinners aren't as good against right handers. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a proactive approach to, to playing Lion. I think that he's in good form. He's he's a proactive cricketer. Yeah, whether he's a good enough test cricketer, time will tell. Of course, we don't know that. But I think if we're looking at it very simply, we need to break up those left handers sure. or, or, or decrease the amount of left handers in the team because that is currently what's causing a lot of damage. And yeah. I think. Does um, it surprise you that, that that seems, even for casual cricket fans, quite obvious? Does it surprise you that's kind of slipped through the England team management? That they've moved Moen up from seven, where he's been very successful, put another left-hander in the top six and put Bairstow down at seven? Does it surprise you that's got through? It does surprise me, but, you know, I think... And who takes the blame as well? Well, I think, you know, I suppose you've got coach, captain, you've got selectors who make a decision. They want to stand by their decisions. They want to make sure that um, they give something a long enough opportunity, and that's... You know, I understand that thinking. You know, as a player, you want an opportunity. You want to prove yourself. Um, you know, I think the changes that need to be made, I think if James Vince is going to be a test cricketer, you know, he really has to get more discipline outside of stump. But I mm. think he's known that and he's known that for a long period of time. Um, you know, those are the changes that need to be made. I think, you know, we're obviously banging on about Alistair Cook. You know, that I said this at the beginning as well. His form is very important. Mm. You know, I think the positives, if we, if we try and go to a few positives, Joe Root's form in the last second innings was fantastic. You know, I thought he was... And what know, a session of cricket. Yeah, and leaps ahead of some of the young, other England players. That's our captain. He showed grit. He showed determination. Um, I think having lost, having won the toss and, and elected to field, which I think was a mistake. There's no doubt it was a mistake given... Um, and we can maybe talk about that. But I thought, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think seeing Joe play that cricket is no doubt he needs to continue that for the rest of the, yeah, the there series. Was, there was an element of Roy the Rovers to it, wasn't there? Because he was out there. He wasn't just back. He was pointing at Tim Payne. He was having a go at you know, everyone else. Who was yeah, and when, when there was the play. kind of taking the ball into the corner flag sort of play towards <laughs> the back end, just as the Aussies had done the night yeah, before, yeah. all the slip cordon en masse moved towards him and Root just turned around and just gave a load back. And I thought... That, that kind of encapsulated where he was by that point and the rhythm had returned, the feet were moving as we, we have grown accustomed to seeing. 
Um, that was the route that we know and love. The, the sickener, not that they were ever realistically going to win the game on day five, although, of course, we all woke up half thinking that in the back of our minds it might happen. But it was so frustrating for him personally, I think. If he'd gone and, gone and made a valiant hundred, even if we'd finished 70, sure. 80 short, what a statement that would have been by the, by the boy. As it was, it's another one, whisper it, between 50 and 100. Well, it was a good um, one, though, wasn't it? It was, it mean, was, that, it was a statement. Was that that, that over from Hazelwood, really. I mean, just obviously not the stuffing out of England. It's just exactly... I think yeah. it was probably a bit of a surprising call he went to Hazelwood, given how well coming to bowl the previous day yeah not a uh, bad option to have but no it's, I mean and these are the things you roll the dice couldn't you in the morning yeah. yeah. Mike can say I, I don't know what Nick thinks about this but I actually think the Australian teams are growing into the series I don't think they've hit, hit their best yet I didn't think they were particularly brilliant at Brisbane in no. the first innings uh, Wicket was slow yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and everyone was a lot of talk about the pace wasn't there and actually you thought it's not that quick you know, almost coming on the way down to Tim yeah. Hay, wasn't it yeah. uh, just briefly on the 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 Bearstow folks thing. I spoke to name drop time Sangakara yesterday, who's joined uh, our roster on Wisdom.com and in Wisdom Cricket Monthly from this month onwards. And he was talking about folks having played with him for three years here at the Oval. Uh, he says he's an outstanding wicketkeeper batsman, and he said, respectfully, as you'd expect from the King, uh, there is, and I'm paraphrasing here, there is no comparison in terms of wicket-keeping capabilities, qualities and refinement between Bairstow and Folks. And he adds, of course, the adjunct that, yeah, Bairstow is clearly too low. Um, the, the equation for me is quite straightforward and it was interesting to hear, hear the big man himself actually kind of back that one up as well yesterday. Um, I understand th- th- there's a reluctance to make a change for Perth, but I think 2-0 two, two down halfway through the series... When we're merely seeing our worst fears consolidated anyway, I would make that change. I'd make that change absolutely for the next test match. Yeah, and usually I'm, I'm kind of inclined to, to let things take their natural course to a point because we've been building up to this series. But ultimately, the cycle that English cricket is on is, is an ashes cycle. So if you get into a position where you need to make this kind of change to stop, not, not just stop 5-0, but let's say England somehow do what they haven't done in ages and at least escape Perth with a draw, then suddenly the series is, is still alive. And as you know, considering all our focus is on Ashes series, why yeah. not make this why not pull the cord um, in the lead up to this, especially with this two day yeah. game on the horizon? I guess as well, what you're concerned about in Ashes series or any series when things aren't going your way is, is knee jerk reactions and tearing the whole thing up. But actually this isn't a new conversation topic. People were saying this before the start of the series that actually sticking best though in the top five and keeping wicket with folks was a legitimate uh, way of going about it, and it feels increasingly so. Yeah, yeah, that's my feeling. I, I still think that if you know, I, I like I like the idea of bringing folks in, but I think you know, based on whether folks plays or not, needs to be higher up. I think sure. yeah, there's yeah. absolutely no doubt that you know, if David's going to play, you know, he can bat at six. You know, you can have Moen at seven. You know, I, I don't have a problem. I, I quite like Moen further down the order, and as you mm. said, he was successful at seven. And if you're going to have someone batting with the tail, you know, if if Johnny's 65 not out batting with the tail, that's fine. But you can't have Johnny coming in at seven, yeah. Yeah. trying to nurse the tail when he's ten not out or twelve not mm-hmm. out. You know, so the important thing is, and Moen, Moen's a free-scoring player. He, he needs to be out there coming in, going. You know, I'm actually, I want Moen to think of himself as the off-spinner. He, he, I, I know Mo, and I know that he's a, he sees himself as a batter, and he's a, he is a he's a brilliant batter. But in this England team, in terms of what they need now, he's the off-spinner mm. who who can come in and get 50 or 30 odd balls because he's capable of doing that and I think that's the way they should have set up 
It's that on his bowling. I mean, he's getting quite a lot of stick on certainly on social media. I feel very sorry for him because he's obviously. It was always, always going to happen, wasn't it? I mean, he's an off spinner in Australia. But also, I mean, he had the side strain in the lead up to yeah. the series. He's now, I mean, he's got this cut on his finger, which because he hasn't bowled enough, apparently, is opening up each time he bowls. He's captain in this um, tour match, but he's apparently not, he's not he's, he's not, not bowling, bowling which is a which is a real worry because he's he said it himself. I mean, he, he didn't bowl especially well in the Caribbean what the year before last because he hadn't got much bowling in him, and because it's perhaps not so natural to him as batting, he needs to have plenty of overs in him to get the best out of him. And the concern is he's not going to get those. Yeah. Where are they going to come from in the middle of a series? Could I just throw it forward, Nick, to you? Look, you know you're absolutely engrossed in county cricket. You face left arm spinners, right arm regulation spinners, day in, day out. Is it a cyclical thing um, that we, there seems to be a pretty bare cupboard at the moment? or And are we going to see over the next few years, with the changes to the toss rule and so on and so on, more and more spinners coming through? Or is it so embedded in this country that we, that we back 78 mile an hour medium fast seamers that, you know, Graham Swan, Phil Tufnell, etc. They're always going to be... Uh, the kind of the exceptions that prove the rule rather than, than the norm? I think there's two, two ways of looking at it. I think, one, who are the people producing spin bowling in our country? You know, without getting too deep into it, I think, you know, if you look at the history of, of spin and of seam bowling, it's about having the right people in the country that are developing these young players and bringing them up. You know, I think coaching... But we've got loads of money. We've got the greatest structures in the world, right? Yeah, the we do. of the world. We do. And and I, I don't know enough in terms of how that's being used, in terms of what personnel are out there sort of really helping. You know, I, I think that, you know, I was fortunate enough to have someone like, you know, I know Moen, for example, and Adil Rashi talked so highly of Sakane Mushtaq. Mm, yeah. He was down at Somerset yeah. when I was there briefly. Albeit, right. I'm not an off spinner. But what a fantastic man. And what a guy to... Re- and it's people like that, Mushtaq mm-hmm. Ahmed, that can suddenly, you know, you look at, I mean, with that, you know, again, you look at that book Bounce, you know, where they had a whole, whole load of um, table tennis players on one road. You know what I mean? I think there is a case of, you know, who's producing these spinners? Who's right. bringing them up? Who, you know, who's really bringing them forward? And I think we can say, yes, of course, there is a cyclical element to the fact that, you know, there's a cyclical element to finding a Joe Root or a mm-hmm. Kevin Peterson. They mm-hmm. don't just come around overnight you know but I think from a spin perspective unless we do change these pitches I don't actually think they're that great for spin anyway because I think it's allowing ordinary spinners to have you know even more of an impact in in county cricket whereas you get them out to Australia on a Perth they'll get absolutely pumped you know so there's a a marry up here that we we can't just produce spinning tracks and I'm I'm much more of a I I think the wickets in England have become poor right you know I, I find Day one of a county championship match, when you think of that in April, you think of green seam, you think of nip, you think it's really hard work. I can tell you right now, you walk out there and it's dry, it looks like a day three wicket in Mumbai, there's no pace, the mm-hmm. ball doesn't come on. You know, if I'm an opening bowler, you know, oh, I mean, you know, it's day one of the season and I'm almost going, oh, gee, this is going to be a long season. And mm-hmm. I, as a batter, you might say, well, that's nice, isn't it? No. I want the ball to be nipping around. I want the ball to come on quickly. I want to... Good players want pace and bounce. Yeah, and if if my technique's not good enough and I nick one early on, well, you know, then work on your technique. But I think that's what England provides. So let's not... Let's work with what we've got. Let's make that even better. And I think that, you know... it's showing that spinners do still come through. You know, there's no, there's no doubt that in your Julys and August, you know, the pitches do get drier and, and there are wickets that spin a bit more. But the important thing for spin is that you need some pace and bounce. You know, mm-hmm. you need wickets that, you know, 
have something on them. And I, and I, and I think it's, it's important that we still get that marry up because otherwise we're just getting these slow, turgid wickets. I mean, I faced Stuart Broad at Lords a year and a half ago and he had one slip, three people in front of the bat and just bowled wicket to wicket as if he was in, um, in Dubai. So if you were to dare go and speak to Mick Hunt about this at Lords and say, why, why is this track lifeless? Why is Stuart Broad running in? And he's got barely anybody behind the bat. I think the excuse what, what would he is there's too to much you? cricket. There's too much cricket. Oh, mate, we've got the test matches on. And, you know, this pitch has been used for that. And, you know, I, I'm not a groundsman. So I don't know the logistics. It would be wrong for me to say they're not doing a good job or X, Y, and Z. I, I just think it's a broader topic. Yeah. I think the, the toss rule for me, you know, takes away from the traditions of the game. You know, right. I don't like that. You know, why Why have we suddenly... We've never had that for years and years but and years. Moeen would say on the record that the toss at least has... Given spinners a, a puncher's chance in English cricket. Has it? It might have done in county cricket, but Joe Leach, who's the leading left-arm spinner, isn't playing for England. So, for me, it doesn't work. Why is he not playing for England? anyone was talking about in the lead up to this test and just seeing you know the, the speed guns for their bowl for Australian bowlers and for English bowlers all the talk has been about how they're a lot quicker than ours where are the, these English pace bowlers where are they coming from well you would have played a lot, a lot against all of these bowlers all the bowlers that English cricket has um, chewed up and spat out and rebuilt and whatnot where is the pace in the English game there isn't much at the moment and um, it is a bit of a concern um, I think as a yeah, I welcome pace in England because it means you might get a pull or a cut and you don't have to sort of sit on the front foot to Darren Stevens all day. So it, it, <laughs> as a batter, believe it or not, I actually, I actually like facing the likes of Wood and, and Plunkett when they play, you know, because at least there's something else to work with. But who's, the, who's the fastest you've faced in county cricket? In the last, let's say in the last two years. In the last two years, I'd probably say Wood's been the quickest. You know, I've, I, I had a spell at Lords where he, you know, he bowled quick, but I still don't think it was a pace where... It was hugely express. It was quick. And it's something that, you know, I was batting with Nick Gubbins at the time. And he certainly hadn't faced anything as quick as that and, and handled it very well. And I think, you know, I think county cricket needs more of that. And, mm. and I, I'm not... Again, we have to be careful because some of these things are cyclical. There's no <coughs> doubt there are some quicker... There's Garten apparently can, can mm. get it down. There's, um, you know, the, the left armour who, um, who played here and has now gone to Mark Nottinghamshire, Footed. Mark yeah. Footed. I mean, he's, he, he definitely, I would say, the last five years was one of the quicker bowlers I faced when he was playing for Derbyshire. Jamie um, Overton as well. Jamie, Jamie Overton hit me in the head two years ago at um, Motion Taylor's and there's no doubt when he gets it going, he, he's got something to him. I, I suppose that why aren't these guys producing pace consistently? You know, Jamie Overton, you know, bowls a very heavy over or two or a spell and then you know when you're playing 14 or 16 four day games it's a year plus two other one day tournaments it's very difficult and that, <laughs> that speaks for itself yeah, yeah. And, and something we, we brought up last week was um, you know as a, as a county player when I start my season I go right we've got okay 14 games now but it, it was 16 games um, one day games I can't come out of the, the, the trap so quickly. I, I, I felt that what I, what I sort of worked out as a senior batter was, right, I've got 16 games. If I break down 16 games and want to average 50 plus, this is what I need to get a game. I really tried to narrow it down. In order to get that a game, I can't have the same intensity 
game by game by game. I can't. I can't run around in the morning warm-ups and give 150%, you know, like, say, a 21-year-old will. I actually worked out a way of sustaining a level of performance, and you get that with the, the, the top players. You, you know, there are bowlers that... They cannot do that. They cannot run in with that intensity and bowl at 90 mile an hour. Okay, some of them might not have the capability. But if they do, even a Mark Wood's not going to do that in current mm. cricket. You know what I mean? Mm. But we need him We need him accessing that more often. We need batsmen facing that sort of bowling more often. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we're not getting. Is it chalk and cheese facing a bowlery bowls at 83 or 4 and a bowlery bowls at... 88, 9, 90. Because yes. to, to the layman, we've, we've thankfully never faced anything like that. You boys do. Is it night and day? What, what I find is it's not chalk and cheese for an 84 to an 88. I don't think there's a huge amount of difference there. What's chalk and cheese in 88 to a 92? Right, okay. I think there's a big difference when you go, for, it's an 87 to a 92, there's a big difference. And I think that brings in the subject of, of Mark Wood because I think England need more pace. You know, um, does he play at Perth? My my answer to that ties in with this. If Mark Wood is bowling 87, no. Mm, yeah. If he's bowling 92, yes. And the reason I say that is he doesn't have bounce. Yeah. He's a short guy. He brings something different. But if he's doing it at 87 mile an hour, I don't think his skill and what he does is going to be a big enough point of difference. And as you say, even if he is bowling some balls at 92, if he, if he can't bowl that consistently, he's bowling the odd ball at 92... Is, is that does that warrant selection and, and he actually I mean he, he didn't look great against South Africa this this summer when he didn't get the ball to move at all he was bowling 85 86 from memory I think but it, it just wasn't it seems like effective. a leap of faith to think that you can throw him in at Perth having played what three or four games particularly three or four days of cricket for the Lions particularly with, yeah. with his history as well and everyone likes Mark Wood he's a very likeable character he's obviously an exciting cricketer but I, don't, I just can't see it. No, I just can't I'm, see that you can I throw him in a stage. There's not enough history, is there, to go on? But I, I think also, I, I don't know what he bowled like in the in the last Lions game, for example. If he was hitting those top paces and he was really roaring, you know, you might be inclined. You know, but you don't know that. I mean, the Andy Flowers, the you know, the Graham Thorpes will really know what what pace he's hitting, and that's yeah. important. If you had so, a great ginger father, ginger all rounder there, then you could kind of afford to play <laughs> in the wild card. But yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah. just leave that. Andrew McDonald. <laughs> Well, the, the one thing, the one thing that really struck me was to remember the start of the season. Obviously, England had the Champions Trophy. There was a ball he got out. He he dismissed David Warner, and he basically squared him up and yeah. hadn't mm. moved. He like also did it in twenty fifteen at Trent Bridge, twenty fifteen. That when Broad took eight for nothing, he got Warner exactly the same way. Cut him in half, inside edge to Butler. Keeping he does have that. He can beat the best players in the world for pace. Yeah. The question is, can he deliver it next week? In 40 degree heat in Western Australia. In injury, it's all up to his injury. Big ass. Is yeah. he fit? Is he firing? It's hard to sit here and know that. If he is and he's really firing and he's bowling as quick as he's ever bowled, get him in. But if he's not, no. Yeah, I mean, you said it then and there. There'll, there'll be people who are with the Lions squad who their job is you know, just to, to tell them that. about yeah. how quickly someone like him... They also, after, after what's happened, to, to drop a bowler would seem... A bit harsh, I think. That's as what well. you do, though. Batsmen don't get one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 I, I agree with Joe on that point in the sense that what does it say about the squad you selected? You know, yeah. w- w- yeah. what about the likes of Jake Ball and 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 the bowlers who are, who who were selected in the squad? Yeah. Know, one thing I wanted to to get you talking about was was Joe. You know, you're a batsman. You've got hundreds behind you, first class. You've got Test hundreds as well. We touched on it earlier in the piece about his conversion rate, and I've got the numbers here between Joe Root and Steve Smith. So Joe Root, he's got 47 of 50-plus scores. Only 13 of them have gone on to be three figures. Steve Smith, on the other hand, is 21 of 42. 
Is it as simple as, you know, we, we're sat there at home just shouting at the TV, going, oh, just, you know, just score 100. You've got to 60, you've got to 70, just get the next 30. How big a jump is it from 50 to 100 that, that we won't know about? A, a huge jump. And it's, it doesn't, it, again, people think, oh, you should just carry on the way you're going. No, it's, it, it takes a long time to develop those qualities. And I think one of, one of the issues, and I, and I think you brought it up at the start of the show, is talking about this conversion rate, talking about England players needing to get hundreds. I don't think it's something that's practiced as much nowadays. And people can say, oh, that's not true. Of course, we go out there as bad as to get hundreds. I mean, that, that, you know that that's what, um, what, what your aim is at the start of the day. However, I think with the way that cricket's going, with the way that, you know, you, you look at Alistair Cook now, you know, a player like that is a dying breed. You know, he's, you almost feel he's on the way out. And I hate saying that for, for someone who is just as likely to go out and get a massive 100 in the next game. And that, that's Alistair Cook for you. He's got such a great record. You know, I have a huge amount of respect for what he's achieved. However, the way that he plays, there's so much more pressure on the way that he plays. And I can probably speak personally in the sense that I felt that pressure in the sense that I almost felt I was having to justify the way that I played. And there were times where I had to, where I thought, hang on a minute, you know, I play normal cricket, mm. you know, it might be in the modern game seen as slow cricket, but actually this is what test cricket's about. It's five days long. It, it's well, still five Steve, days Steve long. Steve Brisbane, you know, at one point I think he made 12 yeah. runs in a session pretty much, you know, and he won the game with a stunning 140. That's, that's test cricket. That's, that's how test it, cricket. That's how it has I, to think be played. I think the psyche of all of us has gone totally away from yeah. it. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, you almost have to rethink some of the comments and going, hang on a minute, I think we're all wrong here. That, that's test cricket. You know, even yeah. if you go, you know, my, my, you know, I think when I, when I played my best, I mean, for me, you know, I always set myself out there to get in. Getting in is the hardest thing for any batsman to do. You know, your, your feet aren't moving, you're nervous, you know, you're out there, you don't have the light conditions, etc. You should never put a price on getting in. You know, for me, it, it, as long as it took, and then it's a, a case of obviously building into your mental process to get to those milestones, 40, then 50, then 60. And I think with Joe Root, you know, there's been a lot of talk about where should he bat in the order. And I was adamant, and I have been for a couple of years, that he bats at four, only because he's an attacking cricketer and he's a, he's a, there's a bit of a dasher to him. You know, there's... He's got the capabilities, no doubt. And he's still quite a young man, you know. We, we, we forget that. He's still quite a young man. And I still think he's got the ability to bat and get big hundreds. And he's shown that. I think at the moment, I feel like he's almost one gear too, too far up in, in, in a way. And if we had some other experience in the team, I think it wouldn't be honed in as much. Mm. But because they're so much centered on, on Joe as our linchpin... You know, you're almost expecting 150 from him every mm. time. And I think that will come. I almost feel that mentally, I, I can't speak for him, but there's no doubt it will be something in his head. There's no doubt when he gets to 50, there'll be a lot of mental work now going, oh, here we go again. You know, ma let's make sure I really convert this time. Let's make sure that I, I went do through think, Do you think there's a, there should almost be a conspicuous effort to slow yourself down as you hit 50 then? That's the milestone. And, and then it's, it's kind of like starting again. Absolutely, and and the other thing is is that we're all different players. I'm different to Joe Root. You know, my processes of getting to 100 were very different. You know, I, I saw myself getting to 50 and then going right. We're playing the second innings. You know, might be really tough batting conditions. I must cash in now. I, I, you know, and that's when it comes down to a hunger, and it's more about hunger, drive, ambition. And and Joe's not short of that. You know, there's no doubt, and you saw that on his face, and that's why I was really excited. You saw the grit, the determination. I'm going to do this for England you know small margins you know it could have been just a you know as you said it was very good bowling and he got out it happens 
I think it is becoming a bit of a pattern where Joe gets a very classy 50 and then gets out. Um, you look, he's somebody who thinks hard about these things. He'll be trying to change that. I think what he's got to look at is, does he go a bit slower? Does he sort of settle himself down a bit and go, right, I'm going to start again? Or actually, would the best way for him to do is to even keep going even, even quicker? And he'll know the answers to that because as batsmen, we all have our own rhythm. And you have to stick to your own rhythm. You know, I know the way that I can get big hundreds. You know, mm. Joe Root will know the way that he gets his big hundreds. And I just think that the only worry for me is that there isn't maybe enough experience and someone that he can potentially rely on as like a, you know, a linchpin that's just going to bat all day. You know, Joe's not your iconic Jonathan Trott bat all day. He plays a different type of game. And yeah. I like him at four because I think having him in at three, it, He's not to say he's loose, but there's an element of him being a little bit loose at times. And I think you don't want to lose him and Cook with a swinging new ball in the first 15 overs, and suddenly you're like, oh dear. You know, yeah. I like the fact that it just gives him a chance to come in at a better time in the innings. So, uh, sorry, um, have you been through a process like that where maybe you've had a conversion issue that you've absolutely? And if so, how did you? Absolutely, and I, and I actually prided it. I was proud of the fact that I, when I got 50, it was like, right, now I'm going to cash in. And I went through a period where I did cash in a lot, but then I got to a period where I got out in the 80s and 90s, and it did become a bit of a mental issue. I remember going up to Marcus Triscothic and saying, I've just got this horrible feeling every time I get to 50, 60, 70, like something's just going to happen that's going to stop me getting that 100. And it, it really, it, it, it hurts you because you know how much work it takes to get to 80 or 90. And then actually those 10 runs in the context of your whole innings are, oh my word, you know, mm. it, you know it take, the, the effort is getting to 90. You know, the next 10 runs are just 10 runs. You know, you're in. And so I had a problem where I kept getting to 80 or 90 and I actually had to mentally try and work out how I was going to go about that. How, you know, I had to go through more of a mental process going, right, okay, here comes this feeling again. What am I going to do? Where, where are my thoughts? You know, am I going to try and get to 86 and then 87? And sometimes it's anxiety. Like Joe, there's no doubt Joe will be feeling like when he gets to 60, he knows that everyone wants him to convert. He wants to convert. The anxiety goes up. And all you think sometimes as a batsman is, oh, can't I just have that 100? You know, if I could just have that 100 mm. and then face the next ball. And unfortunately, you've still got 20 runs to go. And it's, it, that's where the work, will, you know, he's clearly getting in, which is, a, you know, this is what we all try and do. So I think it's a case of Joe will just need to sit down. There'll be some work down in the nets where mentally he'll try and process how is he going to go about that period? You know, is it going to be in singles? Is he going to have to just deserve that 100 a little bit more? before they start flooding back again. Yeah, well, he, in the f- first issue of the magazine, there was an interview with, with Joe Root by um, Lawrence Booth. Booth. And you could just tell, or maybe I'm reading a bit too much into this, because obviously he's, Joe Root has been asked about this for the last oh. year or so. And you can just kind of tell that the question was starting to niggle. And mm. Joe's always good at putting up front and being very jovial, and he's a very good interviewee. But for a moment, you could see just a little bit of it, anger there. And that would have been heightened, the fact that this series is billed as the match-up between him and Steve Smith, who has this fantastic conversion rate, uh, which is which is hard for anyone to keep up with. And when that's become a bit of an issue for Root, those two are compared against each other. And it must have hurt to see Smith win his country a test match in that first test. And it's it must have done 20 hundreds to 15 fifties. Something like that. I think he's on a record of, was it three or four double hundreds in the last two years? Yeah. Yeah, we can so worry about that one next summer anyway. <laughs> we need to try and take the pressure off Joe. And yeah, that's 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 difficult for England to do at the moment. There, there, there needs to be a, a little bit more seniority in the middle order, effect, effectively. Um, which is why I I would like to get Johnny Bairstow up there because a they know each other very well. They batted. They bat nicely. They bat nicely together. 
Johnny's an attacking player, takes a bit of pressure off Joe. And I think that, um, that that's, Joe needs that sort of ally. Um, you know, Alistair Cook isn't quite providing that at the moment. Um, you know, so I, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on Joe. Um, I do feel from a bit, I, but he's going to perform and, yeah. and, he, and he will come good. Talking of, of pressure, talking of being in the eye of the storm, uh, there's three, th- three sure things in life, death, taxes and dogs abuse in Australia. <laughs> um, Joe, Joe has dealt with it brilliantly, I think, um, inside and out. Uh, uh, what's been your impressions of the general tone, the general mood around the series and the build-up in particular? I, I, I thought England actually came into it quite well. I thought they, they were quite quiet. It was almost like I said, they sailed in rather than flew in on a jumbo jet and landed. You know, they, they sort of came in quietly. They've gone about their work. Hard to deduce from warm-up matches nowadays because teams, opposition teams give you, give you weak opposition. But, you know, they, they would have tried to do the best preparation they could. I think the fact that Australia got so on the front foot wasn't something we didn't expect. I think we've seen it in, in multiple Ashes series over the years. I just think it was a. I think there were moments where I wish England had sort of stood up a little bit more. Not to say they aren't standing up and, and really trying to give it back to the Australians, but I think some of the the games that were played by the Australian press, yeah. um, you know, it didn't really give England an opportunity to really fight back. You know, this whole headbutt gate is absolute nonsense. You know, um, I think it's just been a laughing stock. Does it I think cheapen it's a, the game? Do you think? It does a bit. I mean, it's it's just normal Australian tactics, and it, it, to say it cheapens the game, it does. It, it, it because it's like, come on, guys. You know, we you know we're more mature than this. Let's play some hard cricket. Let's get out there. Let's let's hit the batting and bowling, do the work. And there's been so much talk about things other than cricket, which which is which has been disappointing in many ways. And I think that you know England have played it the right way in the sense that they, I think they have. They have they've gone about it the right way. I think Joe Root has handled it very well. I think they've tried to let their cricket do the talking. Of course, it hasn't quite done the talking yet, and that's a difficult place to be where everything seems to be conspiring against mm. you. Um, but I think that um, you know England just need a, a solid performance. You know, unfortunately, you can do all the talking you want. Um, you turn all down. Suddenly, you start saying things, and the Aussies are saying, "Oh, typical whining poms again." And you, you know, you go down that route. So, unfortunately, it is a case of dig deep now. The damage has been done. We need a good performance. Final question on this Ashes thing. Um, is it is the rancour that appears to be uh, taking place between the two teams, is it for show or are these two teams genu- genuinely uh, not, too, not too keen on one another? And does that actually overflow off the pitch as well, realistically? You've been around these, these situations. Before. Realistically, I think it is for show. However, there are a few individuals that some of the players won't like. Um, I don't think David Warner is a particular po- popular character. Um, mm-hmm. We know he's not the brightest, but I also I also <laughs> think that podcast we've said he's that. A, <laughs> he's, he's, um, he's a he's a he's a he's a world class superstar. You know, he's a fantastic cricketer. So so we know the importance of getting on top of him. But there's no doubt that there'll be a couple of there'll be a few sort of individual battles, should we put it that way? I, yeah. I think you know from I know Nathan Lyon. I think he's a really good bloke. Um, I think some of the stuff that was said, not taken out of context, but. You know, the Aussie press have got behind it. You know, they've had some fun with it. They've tried to really come hard at the English. And one could say it's worked. Mm, No doubt. That's up to now. Mm, And probably will continue. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Nick, you need to go. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, Just quickly before you go, it's your benefit next year. Congratulations for a start. 15 Um, years, right? Well, it feels like a hundred years, but yeah, I think, yeah, it's, well, it's my hundredth, uh, it's my grandfather's hundredth year next year, uh, would, would have been, you know, of course he, he passed away some time ago, so 
Um, for me, you know, testimonial years, obviously, it's great. I, I suppose in some ways it makes you look back and think, you know, gee, I've had quite a few years in the game. Um, I've had some goods, had some bad. And, you know, you know, it sort of makes you reminisce back to the days when you're 15, 16, dreaming of, of playing professional cricket. And I think, you know, my grandfather to me uh, is someone I'd really like to pay tribute to. Um, you know, you know, I'd like to pay tribute to the people that have contributed to my career. And I think he's the number one person who, who's the reason why I came over here, the reason why my eyes lit up when I was a 12-year-old boy and he was walking me around Lords. And, you know, I look back at those moments very fondly. And since then, I've, you know, been very fortunate to, to have traveled and, and achieved some of the things he did. And I think it's an opportunity to really do something something great around um, his year. So you're going to try and combine some events then for, for yourself, recognizing your own... 15 years in the game, but also, of course, uh, Dennis as well. Is that yeah, the plan? I think the, the days of a sort of benefit year where, um, you know, you, you run some sporting events and, you know, everyone sort of, you know, tries to make you a bit of money. You know, there's no doubt it'd be nice to make a little bit of money. But I think in many ways, um, I would actually like to see it as, um, uh, you know, tribute to the people that have really contributed to me. I think Harrow School, who gave me a scholarship to come over to England, um, you know, I owe a huge amount to them and the people that supported me there. I owe a huge amount to my grandfather who, who, who perhaps sort of invigorated that early dream and, and, and gave me this, you know, the opportunity um, with, with the English background, etc. Um, there's, there's other significant people. And yes, no doubt it would be nice to, to look back at my career. But, you know, I, I feel like um, it, it's more an opportunity to, 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 to really showcase some, some good events with Harrow, with, with that. I think also Indian cricket are coming next year, so it'd be nice to do an, an event around that, a place that I played my first test series, a place that I really love going and taking photos and, and spending time. And, you know, I, I think just to make it all about me wouldn't feel right. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that potentially it, it opens up um, a few opportunities maybe moving forward, you know. Sure. Um, so that's kind of the way I look at it. And, and, you know, I think that I've got a great committee that, that I'm really going to try and help. Well, all the very best with it. You've also got to fight for promotion next year as well. So you've got a lot on your cards. Yeah, there is, there is quite a lot on <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for joining us and uh, all the best with your content. Thank you. Welcome back. Now, lastly, we've got to talk about issue two. Issue one went down a storm. Well, we don't have to. Well, we kind of do. That's why we're here. Okay, That's why I'm on. here, anyway. Crack off. Well, issue two, packed to the brim, exclusive interviews with James Anderson and Gary Neville by Felix White. Mm. Felix White, formerly the Maccabees. He left the music industry behind, and yet you're still making him sing for his supper. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, that wasn't West. pre-planned at all, <laughs> was it? Straight off the cuff. Yeah. It's the only thing I didn't put down in your notes. <laughs> the, the thing is with Felix, he's irritatingly uh, good. He's, he's polymathic, I suppose the word would be. And he's, he's slipped into the role as features writer for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, effortlessly. And because he's a rock and roll star, uh, the balance of power between interviewer and interviewee uh, is subtly but quite discernibly different. So when he goes to interview England's finest ever, most successful seam bowler, or you know an eight times Premier League winning, you know fullback who's now the best pundit out there for football, uh, again they're kind of wanting to impress the rock and roll star, uh, as opposed to say you know a kind of minimum wage cricket journalist. <laughs> not, not that any of us would know what we're talking about on that. So it's probably worth saying for this for this interview, Felix went to meet. Uh, Jimmy and the idea was it was going to be for Cricket and I which is the feature which is on the inside back cover so just one page of content 
Um, Felix spoke to Anderson for two hours, uh, sent over the transcript, which is however many thousand words. Oh, let's, let's not get onto that. And then you were like, well, that can't just go on the inside back cover. That's actually a feature. And in fact, actually, it's our cover story for the next issue. So this, is, <laughs> this isn't, I mean, we, Phil and I can pretend this was some sort of master plan and we've got this brilliantly revealing interview. But actually, we've ended up with a cover story completely by accident. Uh, and it's a really, really good one. And I think people will be surprised at lots of things that, that Jimmy says, really. He comes across as a proper cricket geek in a really uh, endearing way. I thought the nicest the bit I enjoyed most was when he said he basically watched every wicket from the county championship last year on the ECB app. Which, I mean, this is England's record <laughs> wicket taker. And he spends his time watching, oh, I was going to say Darren Stevens. I feel like he's getting a kicking here. Darren, <laughs> Darren, Darren, Darren Stevens nicking another one off on an ECB app. I well, mean, the, the massive takeaway for me was, uh, and I'm only going to give you one line, but it was basically when uh, Peak Felix, and as we know him now from this interview, Peak Jimmy Anderson, Meeting after a show at Reading Festival to discuss how to save Test cricket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you touched on it before about how they're just different with, with someone like Felix, and that comes through with the Neville interview as well. And the Neville interview is brilliant because he's a cricket tragic as well. They're all, all over it. Yeah, the Neville one's probably my favourite of the two issues so far. Um, Neville says, Neville, who's won what? Two Champions Leagues, eight Premier Leagues, 90 odd cats for England. Second most Uncompromising, tough, no nonsense. Uh, well, he says that cricket toughened him up. He says that, that cricket taught him how to behave in adult sport. Cricket taught him about what it was to play for a team, what it was to be a part of a, of a community. Uh, and he talks in glowing terms about cricket, uh, certainly in, in contrast to football. Um, football didn't teach him anything that, that, that cricket hadn't already showed him. And it's brilliant the way that Felix is able to get that across in 800 words. Um, there will be more online as well. There's a hell of a lot that was left over for the online story. Um, Neville picked his all-time England team as well. No spinner. No spinner. Not interested in that. And, and also, uh, Felix opened the conversation talking about the Australian team of the 90s, which, of course, are in our nightmares because we're associated with failure. We spend all our lives as failures. That's kind of what makes us ordinary, normal human beings. Well, Gary Neville... He, do, he doesn't do that kind of stuff. And so he was full of admiration for that Australian side. As we just picture the horror of it all, Hayden, Langer, Ponting, etc. Neville has limitless admiration for that bunch. You know, this, they were the United of the 90s. Uh, and obviously Neville is going to be one of about 30 people in the country who, who think that's actually quite a good thing. Well, Phil, yourself, you spoke to Johnny Bastow as well, the Children Literary Festival. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a natural setting uh, for the both of us. Yeah, I went down to, to Cheltenham or up or to the left or whatever um, on a Sunday night to see Johnny Bairstow basically um, close the literary festival, the Cheltenham Literary Festival. Hillary Clinton on a Saturday afternoon, uh, Johnny Bairstow on a Sunday evening. Um, now there's a weekend for you. <laughs> uh, and and, it, it, and, and it, was, it was a really interesting little glimpse into uh, how popular the bloke is amongst your cricket-loving public. And you can understand when you see him play, you can understand exactly why. He leaves nothing out there, wholehearted, gives everything he's got. Um, he's obviously been questionably used at the moment by the England side, but even then, you, you see, you see the, why he's such an easy cricketer to love. Uh, and every time he's been questioned, every time he's been knocked back, every time a setback's been presented to him, he's overcome it. Uh, you know, he was inexplicably uh, ignored by the ODI side. <coughs> uh, comes in, makes 200s last summer. 
he's now going to be the opening batsman. Uh, he did it obviously with the bat initially as a test player and then as a keeper. Um, he's dropped no catches in the last eight test matches compared to having dropped seven, uh, no, 14 in the previous seven. Um, so he's improved it on every level as a cricketer. Uh, and you can absolutely understand why that Sunday night, the tent was absolutely heaving on a pretty chilly Sunday evening in October because the punters wanted to come out and, and hear what he had to say. Now, it's on the back of a book that he's, he's co-written with Duncan Hamilton. Now, Duncan Hamilton, as anyone who reads sports books will know, is one of the, one of the outstanding biographers uh, out there. <coughs> Wrote a brilliant uh, William Hill Book of the Year winner, uh, a biography of Harold Larwood, another of Brian Clough. He's been around the block, he's seen it all. Uh, and he and Johnny met last summer. In fact, yeah, a year and a bit ago now and began to put this book together. Now, the book deals with Johnny's evolution as a cricketer, of course, but it also addresses uh, the horrors of his childhood um, and his, his father's suicide. His father was an institution of Yorkshire cricket. He was a wicketkeeper for 20 years for Yorkshire, from 70 to 90, played 25 times for England. He was the kind of the epitome of Yorkshire cricket at the time. He was big, he was bubbly, he was exuberant. He walked into a room and, uh, and, and ruled, the, ruled it whenever he did. Uh, he was a big, boisterous character. Uh, well, when Johnny was eight years old, uh, he came home one night uh, with his sister and his mother to find uh, his father having, having hanged himself. And the book doesn't run away from any of this and it deals with it head on. And it's an incredibly powerful and affecting piece of work uh, and incredibly brave as well to to bring it out at this stage I would say you know in the middle of his career when he's going going only one way um, and the interview we, we did two interviews in the end we spoke before his talk at Cheltenham and then a, a few days on from then um, and the the piece that I put together is is a kind of an appreciation of, of how far he's come as a character and as a cricketer uh, and and a reflection on, on the, the subjects of the book as well. So it was a hard thing to, to write, and it was a hard thing to pull together. Um, but I have an enormous amount of respect for the, for, for the man, really. Um, it, I have to be honest, you know, we don't naturally connect, truth be told. I've interviewed him three times now, and, he's, and, and he and I don't, don't hit it off naturally. I think that's probably fair to say. And, and there's, there is a kind of, there is a slight sort of social awkwardness at times with Johnny, and... Um, he's he's not he's not the most conventional of characters within cricket, which is which is a good thing I would say overall. Uh, but I've tried to be respectful to him as a as a cricketer and as a man as best as I can, and obviously to the to the, the uniqueness of the story. Yeah, there's a line in it where you mentioned there's, there's a certain wariness that tends to accompany best those dealings with the media, and I suppose you see it in press conferences from time to time when he's addressing the keeping issue, whether he should just bat outright, and as someone who's interviewed him as well, it's certainly something that you pick up on. He's quite a naturally guarded man and I, I think that's one of the things well, one of the many things that I find quite enjoyable about the piece itself is because you, you know you're quite blunt with him and you ask him you know you're guarded you keep yourself to yourself why the book and I think he addresses that and you talk around it very well indeed thanks no well done well cheers done. thanks Fish. uh Joe I feel like we picked out the best bits here but you've got a highlight from the upcoming magazine um well, two other things I'd like to flag up uh we've got a big feature on the defining moments of a defining year for women's cricket 
Um, so this is varying from Elise Perry's Double Century, Harmon Preet's Fantastic. Oh, what a knock. What a knock. Um, but also things like uh, Alison Mitchell being the figurehead for BT's Ashes coverage and doing a, a fantastic job. Yeah. I can't say I'm a fan of the whole team, but I think she's doing... Uh, <laughs> who's, your, who's your least favourite? My least favourite uh, boycott, I would have to say. Solid. Um, <laughs> it's one of uh, <laughs> Yeah, a couple to choose from. Um, <laughs> so that's that's a uh, that's re- that was really enjoyable to put together. It's an important piece to do. Um, it's, so it's Andrew Shuffle's Sports Personality of the Year. Yes, well, she yeah. featured in there as well. Which again is, I mean, we haven't had a haven't had a. I think Ian Bell was the last person to be on the shortlist. Um, and, and traditionally, there haven't been many cricketers on the shortlist, and that that she's broken through is is uh, impressive and absolutely right because it it shows that cricket is reaching women's cricket is reaching an audience that actually men's cricket has has failed to do so over the last few years, and uh, that's to be celebrated, which is what we've done in this issue. Uh, and the other piece um, is a farewell to the Wacker, which a lot of English cricket fans and cricketers will be. Happy to see the back of. Uh, had a pretty miserable record there in, in the past. Uh, and we basically, Jeff Lemon has written <laughs> a. I think it's the. Well, it's, am I right thinking he won't miss it? That's yeah, well, I was actually kind of thinking it would be a kind of love letter to the Wacker. He hates it. Everyone hates the Wacker, um, <laughs> apart from Jeff Thompson. Uh, I think basically because the pitch has changed, it, it's still got this kind of uh, this mythology around it. But actually, it's, it's not that, that quick these days. Crickviz did some data for us and it shows that it's the seventh bounciest in the world behind with the Gabba being top. So actually it's not even that anymore, but it's... Gabba was second. Joins the Centurion. Yeah. Okay. Joint top. Joint top. He's um, never wrong, is he? Never so, speak to Bumble, uh, Mark Butcher, Vic Marks, who played there for Western Australia about their memories. Uh, Butch is excellent as ever. He, he recalls the first time he ever played there uh, on an Ashes tour, 90... <laughs> Ooh, 98, 99? 98-9 yeah, when he made the 100. So this was in a tour match in Perth before the series had started, and he was like, oh, brilliant, the wacker, I would like playing fast bowling, good chance to show that I can, I can handle a bit of, bit of the quicks. Uh, goes out there, first ball from Matt Nicholson, from this Aussie quick yes, who played yeah. here at the Oval, actually. First ball from Matt Nicholson, hits him above the ice, splits his head open, he's still got the scar, he showed me on the interview the scar today, still running across there, uh, and was, I think, carried off and didn't bat again in the innings. Uh, which was which, which is indicative of what the he made ten is. runs in four innings or something yeah. over two test matches. Yeah, he was a good man to choose for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he also, I mean, in a less much less funny, he remembers thinking Alex Tudor had been killed by Brett course, Lee yeah. uh, at, at the same same venue at all later. So yeah, it's, it's a it's a fascinating place and it's a really uh, interesting piece picking up all the different threads of what made it so unique. It's, well, it's another belting magazine, Vidushan. Well, it is, yeah. I mean, you don't even know that. You don't even yeah, know. I've, I've read, read it. I've read I've I've stuff, my research, yeah. And Joe sent me stuff. So, right, yeah. Fine. I, don't, I, mean, I, I don't need to buy there's it. A lot, there's a lot going on behind <laughs> the scenes that you don't know about. Yeah, there's in lots fact, of PDFs being sent backwards and forwards. So, how much is Mad's, what, fiver? 495. 495. Right, if you give me four quid, listeners, I will send you the PDF. <laughs> there you go. No, but seriously, buy it. It's a brilliant magazine. Thursday, the 14th of December. Um, and that's. That's enough for us, actually. We're, we're done now until the new year. Yeah, bring it on 3-2. Merry Christmas, listeners. You guys are off to Australia, aren't you, very soon? I am. I'm He's not. He's staying. Not, sorry, I didn't mean to rub it in. Fine. You're going to be out there. You're going to be with Felix White and Matt Thacker. Yeah, you? yeah. And, and Mr Dan Norcross as well. Glorious. Well, bring the urn home if you can. Uh, but from us for now, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll see you all very soon. Hurrah.
Social Podcast Network.